Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Now, a word from our sponsor. This show is brought to you by Practical Herbalist Press, herbal books for today's practical herbalist. Find their books on Amazon.com today. Welcome to show 59 Herb Lab. Today we talk about our composting adventures, including making a new worm bin and restarting a cold composting system. Then in Herbal 101, we'll talk about an article called The Risk of Supplements. Now, here's your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Sue? I love that picture of you standing in the chicken and the chickens <laughs> in the compost bin. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's super fun. My husband took that picture and uh, I was puzzled as to why he was taking the picture. And then when I looked, I was like, ah, that's so darky. <laughs> so classic suit. It's so classic I like a white sweater that's really hard to clean. And the yellow boots. The yellow boots and my and little sundress. like five again. Awesome. <laughs> I didn't even know they made yellow boots in your side. Oh, yeah. They're so cute. You have miniature feet? No. I do. I have miniature feet. You have miniature feet? That's how you got them. Yeah. I have tiny (laughs) monkey feet. Yep. So you worked on restarting your compost bin. How did did that go? Well, yeah, it was great because the one side, actually in the picture, the one side I'm standing on, that one's all done. And the soil is just nice and rich. And it's it's got that perfect kind of, it's the, the, the... feel the texture to it yeah so it doesn't soil. cake up it doesn't cake up and it doesn't fall completely apart mm-hmm. like sand it's got right. that slightly clumpy yeah slightly clumpy yeah, yeah even in august i was that's super amazing about it and i keep mine open obviously if they have a chance to look at the photo then you can see the chickens are just rifling through it yeah they're very excited <laughs> about it and i know some people are worried about having critters rummage through their compost pile because they they think, oh, they'll eat all my worms. But the worms right. go, you know, they're used to defending themselves. And they, they hide. Clearly, they, they yeah, they, we have a nice deep bin. Yeah. So there's plenty of spaces for them to be safe. And they just go through and, and rake things up and help break down the organic matter. And it's particle size that really makes a big difference for successful compost with the system that we have. Yeah. Well, if you have two big clumps, yeah, it'll compost, but it's going to take a long time. A really, really long time. Yeah. And if you put that with the large clumps into your garden, it'll take a really long time. Yes. Yeah. And it might cause some problems for the plants that you've got because mm-hmm. some of the things that when they decompose in the ground, it can get a little warm in there and it might yeah. cause some damage for the plant roots. Yeah. We tried that one year. There was some article I read and some permacultural blog or something about this farmer that said he would just, rather than even bothering to compost separately, he just put his scraps, kitchen scraps in with the plants as they were growing. So I thought, well, what the heck? We'll give it a try. Uh It was one of the failures. (laughs) Didn't really, nothing broke down. That was the problem. It just wasn't breaking down. Right. I maybe the the climate that you're in, it can break down differently in different climates. And and that's something that they rarely talk about. But in ours, all the rain. I have to water my compost once in a while, but it's not too bad. On the other side, I had all of these windfall apples yeah. and uh, just throwing a layer on, of, of apples. And there was quite a bit that had gotten bruised because it's a bumper crop year this year for apples that that if you just leave it out there, it's going to smell bad. 
and it's going to have vinegar flies flying all over the place. Oh, yeah. And vinegar flies are different than fruit flies. Right. Fruit flies are a little bit bigger. Most of what the people in this area have in the Pacific Northwest America have is vinegar flies. They're very tiny. And they anytime you're making something that's slightly soured, you know, mm-hmm. apple, so, apple, yeah, anything like that. Yeah, in our case, we have Kiko, our parrot, wipes her beak on her perches all the time. Oh, right. And it's really hard to keep up with her. So she gets the little flies to love the mess she's made on her perch. And she doesn't eat them. No. 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 She just looks at them and... Look at that. Which is amazing. Maybe that's her pets. Occasionally, she lets me know there's too many of them. It's time to clean house. Okay. (laughs) You better clean up after me. Hey, lady. No, no, I didn't get a mint on my pillowcase. (laughs) Yeah. So the vinegar flies definitely become a real problem with rotting apples. And people who don't like spray their trees or use their apples or, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll, they'll end up with a bumper crop on the ground right that's what all those flies are that they're seeing and wasps and wasps Wasps like that too so i didn't like that so i put um leaves that i had stored from last year that had just been Mm -hmm. sitting there and these are walnut leaves and they're allelopathic which we mentioned in the previous yeah um, podcast and yet if you let them sit for a year then all of that allelopathic leaches out it leaches out so it's just compost at this point so i just pulled it from um, that pile and stuck it on top. I also used, uh, I have big elecampane leaves mm, and put that, yeah. like I have another layer of, of apples and put the elecampane leaves or the horseradish leaves. Those would work. Those if really you have big. the giant rhubarb leaves, oh, I didn't think about those the would probably leaves. work because we have rhubarb. Yeah. I mean, even the smaller rhubarb leaves are huge. But, they are. It's true. But there's the variety that we have is, I think it's called giant rhubarb or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, you know, the stalks are really like two inches thick, two or three right. inches thick, and the leaves are like plates. Giant. They're giant. They're yeah. huge, like platters. Yeah, and you just put yeah. that over the top just to kind of keep the, the critters from from uh, uh, multiplying in your yeah. apples. That makes sense. Yeah, and of course that's true for plums and pears and whatever. You've any got a whole of the bunch fruits, of, yeah. Any kind of grapes. Because if you yeah. with grapes, it's the same thing. You'll get a bumper crop of grapes, and yeah. it just gets beyond you. Oh, yeah, and they... At least with ours, we have green grapes and, and red grapes. And the red grapes make beautiful bunches that all ripen pretty much at once. And the mm-hmm. green grapes, individuals ripen. Oh, so, so you know, you have half the bunch is ripe and half the bunch isn't ripe. Yeah. But it's not like the top half is ripe. It's like this one's ripe and that one's not. Yeah. And this one is. And, that. and then they start to raisin on the vine. Right. Which is actually not so terrible, but, sure. you know. Sun-dried raisins. Yeah, they're not the. You know, they were invented. Yeah, yep. if you pick them at just just right, then they're it's awesome. They're mm-hmm. great because you, know, you do have half raisins, but they're the ones where the bunch was tight enough that it starts to get moldy, moldy mm-hmm. or else where spiders have gotten in there. Right, sure. For the most part, the spiders like the green grapes more than they like the red ones, mm-hmm. and the earwigs like the red ones more than they like the green ones. Oh yeah, so, right. Yeah, critters either yeah. way. And I, I don't mind too many critters, but the the flies and stuff. The like, flies are not. Me. Yeah. Like I don't mind that there's mice in my compost. It doesn't yeah. bother me at all because, for one thing, chickens eat mice. Yeah, and so that's, we're vegetarian, so that's a protein source for them. Yeah, and uh, convenient since your cats don't actually eat. The, mice, well, they're so. they're all my cats are old. Yeah, so they don't feel like eat whatever with the chickens leave them. Right, they don't feel like bothering with all that work anymore. No, I mean no. when you're senior, you shouldn't do that kind no, of work. Just, <laughs> you really want to. <laughs> <laughs> Did right. I hear that correctly? You said the chickens eat your mice? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're really good hunters. Yeah. Some, some. Another reason to get chickens. 
another and some of them are like the orpingtons are not good hunters they're really good egg layers and they're really sweet like that's my easiest chickens to lap train are the orpingtons but some of the other breeds of of chickens are really good mousers okay yeah yeah so we have to keep that in mind Mm -hmm. well we all know now yeah (laughs) but yeah and the i think uh the other thing about that, I'll kind of wrap this up a bit, is uh, making sure that you have your your compost. If you have an open or slow composting or cold composting system like I got, um, which is just open bins that I keep throwing stuff on, when you're starting, you got to make sure you kind of got a pretty good balance in uh, between green and uh, brown materials, nitrogen and, and carbon materials. And I get into that a little bit into an article we have on our website, um, Apple Rhapsody. Yeah, the Apple Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah. Commos, one, one. But also um, dividing it, this is from my class notes, uh, between energy materials, bulking agents, and balanced raw materials. And the energy materials are really moist and they are kind of dense and they're very high in nitrogen. An example would be like um, my chicken poop. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fruit, the apples, for yeah, example, they're yeah. very moist and just super dense. So that's a good example of that. So those are the calorie packed, essentially sure. calorie packed greens and vegetables would be falling most likely into that. Yeah, category, fast food. As long as they're, you know, wet. Yes, it's fast food for your compost. And then yeah. the bulking ones are drier and they have a, they're a lot more porous and they have lower nitrogen. So wood chips and sawdust uh, straw. Dry leaves, dry leaves. Part of yeah, that grouping. D- d- yeah. Well, that's more of a balance. The the leaves, because okay. uh, those do have some. They some still have nutrients in left in them. Yeah. yeah. So that's the balancing ones. Is the ones that like your deciduous leaves. Okay. You know, pine needles would be more a bulking agent. Okay. Uh, so it's it's medium everything: medium moist, medium porous, and medium nitrogen, and uh, uh, alfalfa. Oh, that's yeah. a good example of a medium one. Um, some of the, if you, if you're chipping like wood, Oh, sure. Yeah. That's more of a, yeah. And sawdust from your shop, assuming you're not using treated lumber. Right. If real fine sawdust, that's going to be more of a porosity once it gets issue, because once that fine sawdust gets, um, wet, then it's going to clump. Yeah. Whereas the wood chips, they're not. Wood chips are better than, yeah. Yeah. So that's a. So we still don't have a good use for the sawdust in the shop yet. Well, I like, I put that on as a top layer. Oh, okay. Yeah, when my husband is doing these fabulous uh, jobs around the house, then he he'll throw that on top of stuff. So I'll make sure I got some nitrogen, heavy nitrogen stuff under yeah. there, and then throw that on top. It's like a mantle, yeah. You know, to keep the keep the ookie boogies down. Oh, that's a good idea. Could yeah. put that in the worm bin. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. and keep a bucket of that. Oh, we have a bucket. Yeah. Big bucket. A big bucket. Yeah, and big it's just bag. nice to throw it on top because people complain, oh, it smells. Like, well, just throw something throw something dry on top of that. So your you know? used coffee grounds would end up actually being in the energy thing mm-hmm. area because they've they got their, and they're really high in nitrogen. Yeah. Coffee grounds Very are. Very high in nitrogen. Even after you've made coffee with them, there's yeah. still a ton of nitrogen in there. Yeah, definitely. And the coffee itself, if you got some leftover coffee, mm-hmm. I water my house plants with the leftover. Yeah, that's coffee. really smart because <laughs> yeah. that's right there. I'm not drinking decaf. Don't worry. Yeah, it's high caffeine and the I N E at the end of a 
chemical word means it's that's nitrogen. Yeah, well, and to be clear, decaffeinated just means that a percentage of the caffeine's been removed. It doesn't mean all the caffeine's actually gone. Yeah. And if you're drinking like a Folgers decaffeinated, that has a significant amount of caffeine left in it Mm -hmm. because Folgers is a robusta bean that starts with a really high caffeine in the first place. Uh Uh-huh. So their decaffeination process, I think, I think it takes it down to within three or four percent. Okay. So it's still a significant still amount. Yeah, it's still a significant amount of ca- caffeine sure. f- for folks who are sensitive. Yeah. yeah. And you can see, yeah. like, if you leave ca- coffee grounds in your coffee uh, machine for a couple of days, you see it gets all moldy really fast. So yeah. that's, that's life quickly. culture right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we did today. I yeah, we to, worked on the worm bins. The worm bins. That was the big project. It was. Our vermicultural expert <laughs> <laughs> guided expert. us through. Get a worm, badge. Worm Not bin. an expert. <laughs> <laughs> we had our one uh, worm bin that we'd had for over a year, and uh, it was really dense with casings. Yeah. I mean, like thick. Castings. Castings, sorry. Castings. And... We had to we had to split the worm bed. We had too many worms now in the colony, and they said that would happen. Mm-hmm. If you have a healthy worm bin, look at doubling it every year. Mm. Oh, and, every year, yeah, okay. Right, if you have a really good one, and yeah. you could give that to somebody as well as a gift. Christmas is around the corner. Christmas. <laughs> I got a uh, some worm castings with some worms in it for an Elvismas present. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, so today, what, what we did was. Um, we actually used the same plans that we got from the Master Gardener program last year and used our two 14-gallon um, Rubbermaid toads. We got a little PVC valve like uh, system. We got uh, little air vents, and we drilled the holes and made everything happen. And we have we'll probably a video and pictures on sometime in the next week or so, two weeks, right? Uh, maybe. <laughs> but the air vents were different than what... Right. The air vents they, that... Yeah. So if you do a search and you find the Oregon State University composting with worms PDF, mm-hmm. uh, we'll have a link to it as well. But when you find that, you'll see that there's these little white vents that uh, they they have. And, and it's I, for commercial... Yeah, I, I don't know where they got them, but they got them somewhere. When I'd asked the lady, um, she said, oh, get them, it'll get them at your local hardware store. Mm-hmm. Our local hardware store didn't have them, nor could they even get them. Mm. Yeah. So uh, we went to another hardware store and we're it's in there. a farm there. supply shop, Right, and, but, but this um, it's from Hillman Company, which is nationally um, a national distributor of hardware at most local hardware stores. Mm-hmm. They have the little bins, you know, you pull the little bins and buy the individual little items and bulk, stuff, right. the bulk bins, the, yeah. the Hillman company. There's other companies, too, but this one was Hillman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got cord protectors. So what they do is you drill a hole through something, you put this cord protector in, and then you run the cords through. Right. So that it doesn't get frayed or it's anything. It's like, like a star Yeah, it's a star pattern. Flatter. And the whole yeah. point of the venting is, one, obviously air. Right. But two, air. You, you don't want to have bugs and other things get into it. Mm-hmm. So these uh, allowed us to... Allow air through, but not the bugs. Nice. And a lot less money. I yeah. Think they, were they were cheap. 30 or 40 cents a piece. Oh, nice. So then we got six of those sure. for the venting. And then you just drill holes through the plastic uh, bins up by the ridge or by, by the lip and uh, that, and you just pop them in. Mm-hmm. And then the drain drill simple. That's a PVC half inch um, uh, cap with a thread and then another cap with an O-ring. That's a simple drain. And then a couple pieces of uh, two by four to, so when you nestle the bins together, you need a little bit of space so that the water can collect. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's use a couple two by fours for that little pieces. And that's puts it up. And then 
the biggest part about building a worm bin or even like you talked about composting, it's the same kind of idea. Uh, you want multiple um, uh, building elements. So in our case today, we use coconut coir, yep. which you can get uh, down to earth cells. And I think they have mail to order, but you can get that at a lot of your local garden stores now. It's it's a pretty popular item. Mm-hmm. Uh, we bought a big four and a half cubic foot thing of it for like $15. We got straw, which mm-hmm. we had. Don't use hay because hay might have seeds and other things. Yes. And you don't want that. So it's straw. And then we did newspaper. And then we did um, leaves. Some leaves that you had found out and got. So you did that or we did that. And then we also put in uh, some actual new food. And the way we did this is you put it all together in the bin after you've created it. And you mix it together like a big mud pie. All the bad you know, materials. All, all, the, yeah. all the dry with materials. With your fingers. Right, with yeah. your fingers. Yeah. And, then, and, and then you wet it down. And you want to wet it so that it's almost like 70 to 80% wet. So if you were to take a clump of it in your hands and squeeze it, you'll see a few drops form. Mm-hmm. That's as wet as you want it. You don't want to go wetter than that because it'll start to compact, and you don't want to drier than that because worms like it wet. Yeah. So after you mix that all together, then in our, in our case, we weren't harvesting the castings to uh, adjunct our soil so we could go to plant other things. Mm-hmm. We were strictly using half of the original bin to populate the new bin. Right. I'm planning to harvest the castings probably next spring. Right. So. And there's a whole method for that. And we can talk about how you, how you, how you do that. But Next spring. Yes, next spring. <laughs> so after we put all the worms in, got everything mixed up, then uh, we did what they call a top feeding, which is we put fresh um, our fresh compost from our kitchen. We had a big kitchen container scraps. of it, skips, yeah. kitchen scraps. Mm-hmm. And we split that between the two containers and put that on. Uh, going forward, we'll probably do, um, I think it's called pocket feeding where you dig a hole in one part of the bin and you put your food there and then you cover it. Right. And right. then you mark it. And then the next time, next week, you come in and you put it in a different spot. What are you marking spot. it with? Um, we just got these little inexpensive landscaping flags. Okay. I mean, you can, they're like 20 cents at, at the... Right. The, you know, it's the, like a little wire that has a little flag orange on plastic... But you, you know, you honestly, you can use it. You can knit your own. Yeah, I mean, if you really, if you really feel like you want to do that, a stick would work. Anything would work. Just so you you know, you've done it before. Right, you've done it before. Right, that's what you'd want to do. And so, after we did all together, we we capped them back up and we put them back in the garage, and they have a new home. And it'll probably take a week or two for everything to settle out and Mm -hmm. them to really do their work. And I'll monitor them now by checking the moistness, see if it's still moist enough, wet enough, and then uh, adding. I might add a little bit of. Soil or dirt from uh, we have a dirt pile that's you know, got some really good nitrogen rich soil. Mm-hmm. So I might put a, a couple scoops on the top of it just to kind of help keep it building on, building on, decomposing, yeah. decomposing, decomposing, and and that's it. So now we have two worm bins, and by next spring we'll probably have to be able to do two more worm bins. So then we have four worm bins, and oh as you can gosh. see, this starts to multiply. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it's all wormy. Right. And you were saying you were nervous about there being too many tomatoes. Yeah, because there was some talk during our class about acid, acetic foods. Right. That you don't. Oranges. Yeah. Worms don't like orange rinds. They don't Mm -hmm. like um, anything acid. So the tomatoes, I'm kind of leery on because Mm -hmm. they they are higher in acid. Right. Um, So So you're mostly putting those in your your just open bin compost. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, is nothing like yours. And I have to work on building the fire out there. I can never seem to build the fire out there. But Mm -hmm. um, it's better when it's moist out when it's yeah. wet out than it is when it's dry out. Yeah. Um, so, but that's kind of what we did today with that. And, and you know, it's funny because it only took about, if we knew what we were doing, <laughs> we weren't mm-hmm. really doing it for photography. We were just doing it half hour to build a bin. 
Yeah. You know, if you have all your parts and everything, you mm-hmm. about a half hour for sure. Yeah. And then it was under 20 bucks. Yeah. And, it's, it's and about- we did not get our bins on sale. If you're watching your hardware store about this time of year and then again around Christmas time, usually they have sales on the Rubbermaid totes. Oh, yeah. So, you know, if you pick up a couple at that point, it's good timing. And key on those, it's only about 14-gallon bins. Anything more than that, it's going to be too heavy to move. Oh, you, yeah. It's really hard to move. The other thing, too, Don't is... Don't let your eyes get bigger than your stomach. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. And pick, and pick the darkest color you can find. Why? Yeah. Light. Oh, yeah. You want to keep it as dark as possible. Worms okay. don't like light. Just keep it dark as possible. Right. Uh, so our first bin was red because that's what they that's what they found. But we had these gunmetal gray ones at our local store, so we we used those. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So you want to get the blackest ones you can. You don't want to be clear. Like you, it's not like you're looking at an ant farm. You don't want to right. clear. Yeah. You know. Right. And I prefer the Rubbermaid because of the plastic has a flexibility to it, and it and has a nice moldable feel mm-hmm. i think some of the Sterilite ones are too rigid too i have a lot of experience working with those totes yeah. because of the clinic uh-huh. yeah. that mobile clinic and the last the one that you're talking about Sterilite. they they have they have rigid rigid sides yep. but they crack they crack yeah. yeah and you know if you're moving these things around you're banging yeah. into stuff i mean that's the last thing i want to do is crack and have all of that water flood your garage or your basement right. or Sterilite is better is. really for like housing your quilting supplies. Yeah. Inside <laughs> the house, they're not, not going to be moved around a lot. For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, having it clear too, you can kind of see what's mm-hmm. in them, but for the yeah. worms, I would recommend yeah. not. Yeah. I would recommend not. Right tool, yeah. right place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Huh. So, so the other thing you, well, I know people have said to me in the past when I was first taking these, like don't put orange peels in your, in your compost. I do. Well, I think you yeah. made a good point the other time, uh, maybe the first time we were talking about composting, and that was um, the size of your compost matters. Yes. I mean, if yes. you have a huge compost, like you do, yeah, that little bit you're putting in isn't necessarily going to do no it. Difference. Right? Yeah. But when you have a yeah. small amount, that, that ratio of acid to compost is mm-hmm. a lot closer. Yeah. Right? Well, there's another, I think it's a Wisconsin or something, uh, just a compost, how to compost just about everything uh, sheet. And one of the things in there is how to compost roadkill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and really it comes down to just how big can you make that? Let's make it a nice, know. large and bury it. Really, really bury really, it. I mean, they're putting branches on it. They're putting all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff to build up this giant berm. You're going to need to because animals like dogs and wolves, and mm-hmm. you know, they have good noses. They, they do. can sniff through ground. That's right. I mean, Our dog did. Yeah. yeah. We have it. Well, we just found out this week we have a septic system. Oh, yeah. That's right, right. Right. And He's last up. year... Um, he was our pub. Yeah. Or it was last year, or two years ago, whatever. The first year we had him, he went outside and he started digging a hole in the center of the yard. We, what, what is he digging why? for? Why is he? Why is he digging? And we found there's a PVC pipe out there that's, that marks um, one of the boxes. Now we know. Now we know. <laughs> really? we do. I thought maybe it was like we had know, no idea why this. We PVC thought it was draining, was- like a draining thing. Like yeah. that's why the yard drained all the time really well. We, we didn't mm-hmm. know. Right. Yeah. Well, it turns out that's marking one of the components of the septic system. Nice. So he picked he up. Was yeah, he walked that. out there. And, Hey, that's most delicious. Yes. And he started digging. <laughs> so the bird bath so the bird bath's on there. It and that stopped it. Dig- so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just amazing. I mean, that, and that was quite it's a bit down. distance down from, yeah. and he was able to smell it. So, yeah. Larry, they live in a different world. Yes. That's for sure. Yeah. Keeping critters out, like your dogs and cats out. Some people are also worried about that with their compost. Yeah. And that's, 
Now I can completely understand. You have yours on the other side of a fence. We do have ours on the other side of a fence. We've done composting where we have the compost in an area where the dog can technically get to it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, our basset hound of the time, she got into it and she pulled stuff out all the time. Yeah. And then our veterinarian admonished us not to do that because dogs can get into stuff and choose to eat things that will then be really, really bad for them because there are, yeah, there are chemicals that are created during the rotting process on certain things that are really bad for dogs. Mm -hmm. Their stomachs are mostly designed to handle things like rotting meat, Mm -hmm. but vegetables, some of those that are rotting, not so much. Yeah. They're really different bacterial load. Yeah. They don't, their bodies are not designed to be vegetarian at all. They're really, they're designed to be our omnivorous carnivores. Mm -hmm. So they don't have the digestive system to deal with it. Yeah. You know, and cats would be even worse. Yeah. I mean, them, they don't really eat, but they, they probably they, wouldn't touch most of the vegetable matter. Right. That's the thing is that they're not, the, the only thing I, I, I've ever noticed with my cats, cause my cats hang out in the vegetable compost bin all the time. And what they're looking for is mice. Yeah. They're looking for mice. And my, my cat, I have the classic cat thing where I don't have roosters, but chickens, will choose like they'll turn one of their hens into a rooster if they don't have a, a like a warrior protector so mm-hmm. they've cho- you know Nero has decided my cat my giant cat he's decided he's the rooster so, oh lovely yeah so he's the rooster so he hangs out with the girls all the time and they're like okay well you're an idiot so yeah you'd make a great rooster so <laughs> he, hang- he was hanging out with them in the compost bin just sitting on one of the bricks and then all of a sudden he gets all haunchy, you know, like he's shaking his shoulders. And one of the squirrels, the mama squirrels had come into the compost pile oh. and he was going to hunt. And my, um, the, the chicken in charge looks over at the mama squirrel and looks at Nero back and forth. You know what they're, they look on right. the side of their head calculating. And just as he's getting ready to pounce on the squirrel, she pecks him on the top of the head. Nice. Is <laughs> <laughs> the wounded look like, oh, but I was, I was, no, nope, no, nope. this one, this squirrel is perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. Squirrels will do no harm. This, but they, they only allow some squirrels in. Ah. Like she, she let that mama squirrel in season after season. Right. But when the teenage son squirrel came through she would not the mom the chicken would not allow that right. squirrel into the compost right well he hadn't paid his dues i guess not yeah <laughs> they're so interesting yeah, yeah, you have to make the offering bring the proper dues, bring the dues. Good. yeah you didn't you didn't pay your bill i'm sorry yeah. i've noticed with this all of the little uh cats all they're doing is looking for mice that's yeah. all they're really doing looking they for don't mice. have the omnivorous mindset yeah dogs canines in general their mind is all about i can eat it mm-hmm. oh look i can eat it right let's see how that works yeah. for me will it you kill know? me well, i don't know well, will it blend yeah probably not let's yeah. try it and you know i've never had problems with my dogs getting ill from compost uh-huh. but i think that the veterinarian was probably right it's better not to it's have better compost. Not to. yeah i know a dog that got pretty sick for me yeah. in compost the other concern is you dogs and cats and poop. I will not mm-hmm. put cat or dog poop or carnivore poo does carnivore not belong or in a omni- A lot of omnivore poop. Like I guess mm-hmm. chickens are omnivores, obviously, but the mammals, their enzymes are a little bit different. Goats completely digest things. Horses, not so much. You got to be really careful when you're putting horse poop in. Well, you have to let right. it season. If right, you season exactly. horse manure, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, but that's because you can you can get like 
growing things out of your because right. it doesn't digest all the way the seeds right. you end up with weeds in there yeah you can that's put that true. in hot, hot compost no problem but i'm leery about horse poop anyway but the cat and dog poop um if you just dig a hole and put that in there and then cover it up then you're okay i know people that have done that before they're just covering yeah. holes they got I, I, property to do it. The bacterial load that comes with dogs and cats' digestive systems, I don't mm-hmm. think I want. I'd prefer not to have that in my compost, I right. think. Right. But, you know, I can I see doing it. I've seen small septic systems, essentially. Yeah, we had one at the house we were at. It was in the ground, and you would add your um, solids to it. And then right. A little bit of water and then some kind of enzyme powder you'd, you'd drop in every now and then. And then right. it would break it down. Mm-hmm. But over time, it would like any other septic system. It's going to fill up. It wasn't yeah. big. I mean, it's not like big. It's just like maybe five or six gallons. Yeah, it was yeah. a small size. Yeah, yeah. But, but you got to make sure you're not over balancing your. Yeah, ugh, it can turn into a mess. So yeah, pers- we didn't deal with poo this week. I mean, outside of the castings. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just, it's <laughs> just a rule of thumb: don't use, don't put animal waste into your compost. Dogs, yeah. cats, whatever. Don't. Chickens and rabbits is a little bit different. Well, right. Goats a little They're bit different, right. but it's how how well it de- has been decomposed. Yeah. 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 Well, and then herbicides. If you're the kind of person that sprays herbicides or pesticides, don't I feel nervous about that. I don't feel good yeah. about that. Yeah, in your outdoor compost, you're not going to put you the stuff that you treated in there either. So you've got to really watch what you're putting in. Right. And people with yeah. lawns that spray their lawns. Yeah, yeah, and grass clippings are too much of a load too. You can't put all of your grass clippings all into at once. all at once. It'll You've got to have super a, hot. Although right. honestly, what you should be doing is mostly mulching your grass clippings back into your right. Lawn if you yeah, if you have a time. mulching mower, that's the way to go. Yeah, but sometimes, like me, you forget to mow or don't get to it, and then right. it's too long to mulch, so you've got to bag it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. yeah, I'm just saying. That's such a load to put on yeah. to a compost bin right out there. You put three, four inches of fresh grass clippings. Yeah. Well, when you have that kind of fresh grass it. clippings, too, they make a decent mulch around some of your, you know, like like you would use straw. You can oh. stick them in around other plants, yeah. usually established stuff. You know, yeah, I stick that in the bushes. A, a and, gardener guy, yeah. that's, what, that's what he did in his garden, and he would bag everything, and then in his garden, he would... He would drop the clippings right on the area mm-hmm. and helped with moisture retention and helped yeah. with nitrogen release and yeah. kept the weeds from popping thick. up. Yeah, I mean, he would yeah. spread it out. It wasn't, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, it can get kind of slimy. Yeah, it can get, there's a, yeah, it can get, it can mat down. It can, you know, compact mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it can get that weird, you know, doesn't degrade. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Anna, also, this is just, we're talking about cold composting and worm bins. And if people are interested in the audience to talk about hot composting, then let us know and we'll see if we can get a hot composting specialist onto our podcast. But yeah. uh, we're not the experts on that one, so we don't want to. Yeah, I don't no. have the kind of square astray. footage it would take to try experiment. And with the luck we've had with cold composting, I don't think we'd be the ones to try that. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for a Real Herbalism Radio sponsor break. The Practical Herbalist Press, that's in addition to our website and our podcast. That is right. Practical Herbalist Press is all about providing really good books and information by written by experienced herbalists. Us. Us, but others <laughs> eventually as yes, well. that's very true. And it's bite-sized information that we research the heck out of. We have medical information out there that we're really doing a lot of research on. 
We are we have growing gardening with herbs. We got stuff for about pets, your yes. home, your family, ethnobotany. Ethnobotany. Mm-hmm. We also put it in terms of the traditional ways we've talked about historic, herbs, like yeah. historic. Mm-hmm. Whether they're warm and cooling, that right. sort of thing. Mythical and very practical stuff. The Practical Herbalist Press is dedicated to providing the best herbal related books on the market. Look for our titles on Amazon, search for the Practical Herbalist Press, or visit our website at practicalherbalistpress.com. Now back to the show. Herbalism 101. This is part of the show where Sue and Candace answer a listener question or teach you about an herbal definition or term covering basic to advanced herbal knowledge. If you would like the dirt on herbs, herbalism, or anything else related, you can send your question using our simple contact form at realherbalismradio.com slash herbalism101. If we choose your question for the show, we will send you a free PDF ebook, Natural Nutrition by the Practical Herbalist, currently available for $4.99 at the Practical Herbalist store. Here's Candace and Sue to discuss this show's Herbalism 101 topic. Today's question comes from Leanne. She says, Hi, I just read an article in today's Wall Street Journal titled The Risk of Supplements by Laura Landro. This article covers interactions between herbs and prescription medications. I would love to hear you all weigh in on on this topic in an upcoming podcast. Thanks so much for what you do. I have learned so much from you already. Well, Leanne, here's what Sue and Candace have to say. (laughs) Yeah, that's nice feedback, Leanne. Thank you very much. Uh, we looked up the article from the Wall Street Journal who referred to uh, how your supplements interact with prescription drugs. And the Wall Street Journal would like us to subscribe in order to read the entire one. So being... Um, I'm pin- too cheap. What we did instead was read a review of the article, Be Smart About Nutritional Supplements You Take, uh, by Aline Kap- Kaplan from March 4th, 2016. And what this author did was go through the article topic by topic, uh, echinacea, kava kava, ginkgo, turmeric, garlic, and talk about what the the author had, had pointed out as interactions. And the first thing that that author did was say, you know, when he first read it, and this is what I was afraid of, that it was going to be, oh, there's interactions with the herbs and your drugs that you're taking. Therefore, all herbs are dangerous, which we've seen that before. Right. You know, it's the classic all or nothing kind of thing. But what the article wrote, she um, see, actually, here's a quote here in the first one. Um, Instead, Ms. Landro, a fine reporter and writer, I'm, I'm quoting from the sup, uh, Be Smart About Nutritional Supplements You Take, said is she chose to provide general factual information about interactions between prescription drugs and nutritional supplements. So, and I guess that's news to many people that your herbs can interact with your meds. Right. I think most people have been so, the the power to be in charge of their own health has been taken so far out of their hands, Mm -hmm. especially by the medical community, that they forget that all, I mean, if you try to take too much water with certain drugs, you can affect how the drug is interacting in your body. Right, you could reduce and, your electrolyte load. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. and too much water may well be eight to ten glasses, which is what general consumer health says you're supposed to have every day. Sure. So 
you really, as a, as a human being, you mm-hmm. need to be responsible for your own health. And it can be shocking to realize that, in fact, too much garlic can thin your blood. And if you're on wharf, and that could be bad for yeah. you. So maybe you shouldn't be eating, you know, all that pasta that's really heavily laden with garlic every day. That just would be smart. Yeah. You they, know? She mentions a couple things about garlic and, um, you know, a lot of people are using it for joint pain or mm-hmm. whatever, or for your respiratory tract or gastrointestinal and yeah, warfarin or coumadin, it, yeah. it, yeah, it does have a problem with any of those blood thinners. Also, if you have probiotics that you're taking, right? you know, the probiotic thing, I, I think the, the thing that you have to be careful about is people are throwing in all these probiotics, but they're not feeding the ba- friendly bacteria in their gut by eating lots of plant fiber. Right. Yeah. So. You can't just have your meat and potatoes diet with some probiotics and think that's going to work. Yeah. It's really not. You need to have your Yeah. It's greens. an imbalance. You need it's just yeah. all this imbalance. And unfortunately, people that are on warfarin, they can't eat those greens anyway. So they're right. kind of stuck. Right. It's a difficult piece. If you've just had surgery uh, for two weeks after your surgery, you're not supposed to have garlic. Yeah, there's a couple of things that you should be careful about. But this article that we had in front of us talked about a couple of the basic ones. And there is another article that um, That we looked at. The health health day one. Yeah, health day. Yeah. This was from January. January 2016. Mm -hmm. And it's by Chris Wolston, MS. The name of the article is Herb Drug Interactions with the subtitle of What Herb Drug Combinations Should I Avoid? Yeah, and this one, we liked this one because it was fairly brief and it did cover some of the really basic herbs that people take. Feverfew, people take that usually for migraines. Ginkgo, uh, that's more memory care most often, although there's so much research on ginkgo that just to take it for memory care, I think is is doing ginkgo a disservice. Right, it's really been studied. St. John's wort, uh, licorice, ginseng, ginger, garlic, valerian, kava. Those are the ones that this person has covered. And you see some echoes in there. If you're taking um, an MAO uh, inhibitor, the uh, mono here's the name of it. Otherwise, I will mispronounce yeah. it. Monomain oxidase inhibitor. Uh, which is an antidepressant, then, you know, you're, you need to be cautious uh, when it comes to ginkgo or St. John's wort, or, you know, if you're taking NSAIDs, a whole bunch of NSAIDs, which would be like Tylenol or other painkillers. Yeah. Then you have to be, cause those are basically a blood thinner. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be careful about things like licorice. Licorice can because uh, of the um, GLA and it can change your blood uh, pressure. So there's there's a, a lot of things to look out for. I get nervous of people treating herbs as if they're dangerous. I get frustrated. One of the things I've been frustrated with our medical industry, I've had this frustration for a couple decades, mm-hmm. <laughs> is that Every time I say to a doctor or a nurse or a nurse practitioner or anybody else at the clinic that mm-hmm. I'm taking herbal herbs or herbal supplements, the first thing I get from them nine times out of ten is a sharp tone of voice, those 
narrowed eyes, like you've just told them that you're you know, sleeping with the devil. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't I usually, be telling people I'm sleeping with the devil oh, either. Why no. do I bring that up? I told you not to. Ah, but I got to write it down. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, and then their language is always shameful. Right. It's shameful and it's um, usually abrasive and it's like you're ignorant. Yeah. And it's sharp and they don't even take the time to ask me what I mean by herbs. They don't ask me, oh, does that mean you're taking garlic or does that mean you're taking echinacea? Are you maybe taking digitalis? What are you taking? You know, they don't take the time to ask. They don't even seem to have a clue about the difference between herbs that are very much food variety versus Mm -hmm. herbs that are moderately strong but not really heavy hitters i mean they they have no clue ginger ginger is very very common for nausea i mean that but that's it does have some interactions it does in fact everything we eat has interactions because we are dynamic chemical organic bodies yes exactly so everything in your diet is going to be potentially have an interaction with any drugs that you take it's all interacting and if you are taking something that doesn't have an action why are you taking it you know they did have those potato Mm -hmm. chips that had fat that just went right through you and then come to find out that wasn't very healthy. You know, right. you need an interaction. So, right. How- well, I think the thing to remember, too, is that the doctor will prescribe it typically or the nurse pra- practitioner. Whoever, yeah. mm-hmm. But you have a good resource when you go to buy that medication. Your mm-hmm. pharmacist. Right. They really know what's going to interact. So if you and they're not under some time crunch like the doctor is. Right, right. You can actually have a conversation with them and ask them those questions yeah. and that's what they're for. But and I think the actually they probably like to talk to you more than they like to fill the pill right. bottles. Right. They sell both the herbs, herbal supplements and right. the and you say and they're the usually prescription. Better. They got all of it. One of the right. things I've noticed though, I have had very, very few prescriptions in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really avoid prescriptions, but the few times I've gone for whatever reason, I've noticed that the people doing the filling aren't necessarily actually pharmacists. There's a pharmacist there, but the person I'm talking to, I might have to wait for quite a while to be able to even talk to a pharmacist because it seems like, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, everyone behind the pharmacist's counter was a pharmacist. Right. It's not like that anymore. Yeah. And I know that if you go back a hundred years, pharmacists still were in touch with the plant basis for most of the medicines they were preparing. Whereas in the last hundred years, they've really been cut off from that. Yeah. Part of, you know, that's part of what has happened with the medical industry in general is Mm -hmm. that they've been trying to like separate themselves from nature. And they're more successful in some areas than others. Down South, there's still your regular apothecary where you've got all, it's a, a cornucopia of stuff. Mm-hmm. sold in the pharmacy and the pharmacist is usually the owner and they might have a helper with them, a cashier with them, but right. they know what they're selling because they've they been selling the same thing for years and they've right. been selling to the same people. And yeah. so they are really the expert in the field. And they're, they're really a good combination of an herbalist who's also very well versed in right. the pharmaceutical and chemical industry. Yeah. Nurses yeah. now, I know they're a lot of better. nurses that yeah. are taking herbal courses and they're really, they're doing their due diligence so they're they're go they know what their patients are talking about. Right, yeah. Doctors are starting to learn 
Uh, of course, a naturopath is generally going to, <laughs> I'm supposed yeah. to know, naturopathic physician, I should say. Yeah, I can see the changes are beginning to happen. I and, think and the that, information's out there about I think, the interactions. Yeah, and I think that, is being done. yeah, the important part is that as individuals, we are responsible for our own health. And right. if I'm in a position where I feel too sick, too weak, too vulnerable, mm-hmm. I need to find someone whom I truly trust and to advocate. do the research. Yeah, an advocate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. in... Some aspects of medicine, like in the child birthing sectors, we mm-hmm. have midwives and doulas who right. are well versed on both sides of the fence and are good advocates. Yes. So there are some areas of medicine that have managed to hang on to that ability to have a good advocate mm-hmm. who can help you figure that stuff out when you don't feel like you have the capacity to do it yourself. Yeah. Um, There's for- a lot of stuff on the internet. You got to be careful because some of the stuff mm-hmm. I have seen. It's if you're dealing with a website that it says one of two things, either this is hyper dangerous and it's going to kill you in an instant. Mm-hmm. Go look, look somewhere else, do some more background check. Right. Or if they do the other, this is super great. It's a super food. It's, you know, right. going to babysit your kids and straighten your teeth and, mm-hmm. you know, look elsewhere. You know? Panaceas generally don't right. exist. Right. And if they don't have links listed on their website for what they're referring to, or they don't have other information, then I would, if they're just, you know, pulling it out and, and saying, this is mm-hmm. awesome and we're going to sell it to you. Well, yeah. <laughs> Something to be careful about, There are a too. few places that are good. There's that, what is the name of that government thing? N-I-C-M? Oh, yeah. That has all... Yeah. What is that called? National Institute of Medical Research or something like that or medical science. Yeah. That has a huge database of studies. Right. So if you're getting ready to be put on a drug like warfarin, for instance, warfarin. Yeah. Yeah, I never know how to say that word. But anyway, you can go to that and you can look that one up. And if you're thinking that you were possibly going to try continuing to use feverfew, which maybe was working for you for some headache problems Mm -hmm. you can look that up there too and see start to cross look at what the studies are saying about each one yeah that's a nursing magazine too they have a lot of information about herb drug interactions they put out a little volume about them uh, and and update it frequently but that tells you something as well and the american pharmaceutical association also has a good book about herb drug interactions uh, there's that you're seeing it put out by people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you have a specific condition, diabetes, or if you have cancer of some kind, then the American Cancer Institute, Cancer Institute, has a or association, sorry, has a lot of great information about different herbs. Before they just didn't mention that. Now they're accepting the fact people are taking it and accepting the fact that there's a lot of a lot of research about it. Right. Yeah. So it's it the information is out there. And we have to have the diligence, due diligence to find out about it. And we have to advocate for ourselves. And if we feel like we can't, as you suggested, mm-hmm. get someone else on your side. You're yeah. not alone. You don't have to be alone. And even if it's, I mean, even if you're not going to go find a professional advocate, you know, your best friend, your sister, your brother, your husband, mm-hmm. your grown child. Right. I mean, whomever it is that you have in your life who can, who can understand and is willing to do the research and help you understand what you need mm-hmm. to know and who's willing to potentially go with you right. to visit your medical professionals. Right. Or if there's an agency like Senior and Disabled Services, yep. if you're getting a check from them, you you are, you are can get advocates from them. They need to stand up for you. Yep. So, And if yeah. you don't feel comfortable with the person who represents you, 
ask for another person. It's your right. Yep. And as you said, there are a growing number of herbalists and nurses or nurses who are herbalists or herbalists Mm -hmm. who are nurses. You can look for someone like that in your community as well Mm -hmm. and get them to help you out on all the fronts. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for asking that wonderful question, Leanne. So for more information about the stuff that we talked about here on this podcast, go to thepracticalherbalist.com and look for some of the recipes that we have and the little articles that we have. And we have, you'll see on our show notes that there's links to some of the herbs and the um, processes that we mentioned. And make sure that you like us on Facebook and check us out on Twitter. We have fun little things that we throw onto Twitter all the time. And we have a hashtag that would be hashtag the practical herbalist on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And we have Pinterest. We do have Pinterest. Yeah. We do have yep. Pinterest. Yep. So we're trying to be all over the place so it's easy for you to access us. And we've had reviews and we're very excited about getting reviews about these. So we would we would like to we'd like to get your feedback. It helps us understand better what you want to hear about. And we're very interested in getting the um, herbal one on one questions and Please remember we sustain ourselves through uh, the ebooks and donations on Podbean. Right. You can support the podcast um, by doing a monthly donation as low as $2 a month. And uh, on those reviews, um, the ones for the podcast specifically are on iTunes. So if okay. you go to iTunes, you can actually review us. Yeah. And you can write a review. And, and I think we had our person do it. Yeah, we had our first review. I'm so excited. Yeah. Well, that's going to be the email. That, that review is yeah. in the email. So make yeah. sure you look for the Practical Herbalist email. And if you're not getting it, make sure to sign up for it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's on. That's usually going to be dropped down on a little splash um, alert when you enter the website. Or it's also, I believe... Uh, there's on the side on the sidebars we have that you can sign you up can for. You can sign up for the newsletter, which is Practical Herbalism Today. It's a weekly mm-hmm. newsletter. It'll let you know when our podcast is out and available and what articles we're working with or little notes yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's fun to make this a conversation. So, right. so if you have any more questions or comments about composting, make sure to always uh, add a comment on our post on the website. And if it's a good question or it's a good comment, we might have a chance to respond to it. Yes. yes. And thank you, Kimberly. It was an awesome review. It was. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Kimberly. It was nice. Made me feel good. This show is brought to you by The Practical Herbalist. Simple ways to make natural living a part of your daily life. Check out their website at thepracticalherbalist.com. 